It is my pleasure today to um, give you a little bit of uh, a word that may step on your toes, uh, that may um, push you maybe a little bit further than you want, and maybe not. Maybe it's exactly what you need to hear, uh, but it's what I needed to hear this week. So uh, we're going to be in Mark 8, uh, 27 through 37, if you want to get there. Uh, but as we're getting there, let me just talk about um, this one idea. How important is it for us to really understand who Jesus is? It's a pretty big deal. Um, The problem with that is we sometimes settle with a small understanding of who Jesus is and we run with that. We, We get a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of what he or who he is, and, and we kind of, we own that little bit and we kind of stay there, and, and there's danger in staying in that little reality of who Jesus is. A lot of time there's danger, uh, in us deciding what reality that we want to believe about Jesus. We take, uh, I, I, I can't remember if it's Thomas Jefferson, one of the, uh, early fathers of our country uh, didn't like some things in the Bible and he created his own. He kind of chopped out things that he didn't like and he put it together and he's like, this is what I like. And the danger with that is, is that if Jesus is Lord, we don't get to decide what is and what isn't what he desires. And the danger is that if we live there, we can live a less than life. Uh, which is not what I want. And, and hopefully today's Roman, I mean, not Romans, uh, Mark 8, uh, 27 through 37 is going to clearly show you how um, bipolar we can be in our beliefs through Peter. Because we see him say one thing and then a minute later he says something else. <clears throat> it is important that we understand that. And I think we also understand that as uh, if you've been, I'm a North Carolinian, just in case you didn't know that sound. I try to, well, I don't, I say I try to hide my accent, but it's there. And if you're not from North Carolina, you're like, you're a southerner. But I've been here my whole life. And the reality is, is if you've been in North Carolina your whole life, we somewhat understand this idea of the Bible Belt. Somewhat understand that we are in, in some sense surrounded by Christianity. But the reality is, is that if we were surrounded by the number of Christians that proclaim Christ as, you know, statistically, if they put on um, their uh, form that they, what is that thing called when they, census, thank you. That's why I should write more stuff down on this one and a half piece of paper. Uh, on, on the census, you know, the reality is, is our city, state, and country would be a whole lot different if the numbers of people that claim Christ as Lord were, were Christians. P- period. I mean, I, our country wouldn't be in the state that it is. There wouldn't be things that are going on like they're going on if that was the reality. So it's important for us to understand the reality of who Jesus is, because the tension there is the consequence is great if we get it wrong. If we choose the Jesus that we serve, we may not be serving Jesus. And he's very clear 
in the understanding that there will be those that have preached, proclaimed, healed in the name of that don't know him. He said that. He said, depart from me because I don't know who you are. So that's scary to me. I don't know if that's scary to you guys, but it's terrifying that I would create a culture as a pastor of a church that would stimulate that type of relationship with Jesus. Uh, And so today we want to try to make sure that we're doing the right thing. So let's pray. Uh, Because the reality is, is I can totally destroy what God wants to say today if it becomes about me and what I think and what I feel. So let's pray. Uh, Dear my Father, it is... My request, uh, as your son, forgiven not because of my actions, but because of yours, uh, that you would speak about yourself through your word today, that you would do in us what we are unable to do in ourselves, that you would bring a clarity, a clarity of who you are. And if we claim you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that should Affect us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remove condemnation that would condemn people to never understanding, never knowing you. But, Lord, you would allow conviction to stir us in our affection for you. And I pray that today we would only be satisfied in you and in you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Mark 8, uh, we're going to get to 27, but let me, let me just lead up, because I think if I jump into just verse 27, you're going to be a little bit like, hey, what's going on? Uh, so what happened earlier in chapter 8 is Jesus feeds 4,000. I don't know about you, if you're reading along in the one-year Bible and you get to the second time that Jesus feeds a multitude of people, you would get that this is a possibility. They did not. It came... You know, you already fed 5,000, you already participated in it, you already handed it out, and it comes again, and they're like, what are we going to do? And of course, Jesus feeds them again, and he does it, and then they get on a boat, and one of them, and I don't know if they're whispering around, they're like, we didn't bring any bread. I'm telling you what, and I, I think we mock the disciples because we see the whole story, but we would be the same going, you didn't, this, we kept seven baskets full and you didn't bring anybody? We got any bread because there was extra. And, you know, there, there was, you know, no bread. And so Jesus says, be wary of the leaven, which is what you put in bread for those that don't know that, to, to make it rise. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And one of them is like, He knows we didn't bring any bread. And then, of course, Jesus being God was like, are you idiots? He didn't say that, but like that's what it basically says. Are you so hard headed that you don't understand that we don't need bread? You got Jesus. You know, I mean, like that's not a concern. And and of course, he was trying to tell them. Uh, you know, to, to be wary of their teaching, this this kind of partial truth is danger. And then he feel he heals a blind man. I mean, okay, so you've seen him feed five thousand, see him heal a blind man, and then there's this conversation going around the city. I don't know about you guys, but buzz has been happening for thousands of years. There's a there's the rumor mill of who is Jesus, and there's. You know, even Herod, the, you know, the, the, the big man of the city was asking, like, who is Jesus? And there was these theories that he is John the Baptist, which doesn't make any sense because they existed together. 
but he was like, well, I'd be headed. <laughs> like, it would be a little freaky if you beheaded somebody in their back. Like, I'm like, okay. Uh, John the Baptist, some say that, you know, he was a uh, prophet of old. Some say that he might be a Elijah. And, and there was reason behind that, that. So Jesus is clearly aware of the conversation and the buzz that's going on on who he is. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 27, where Jesus clarifies this with his disciples. He brings up what they're already thinking. See, this is the dilemma with most of us. We believe that we can hide what's on the inside of us from God. They're thinking these things, and of course, God is aware over and over again what they're thinking. Like, think about that for just a minute. See, we get away with so much stuff that's inside our head because the people don't hear it. What you think. And, I mean, it's just like it's there. Could you imagine if those just got, you know, teleprompted up on the wall like someone's talking to you and I don't like you. Why are you talking to me? I mean, like, and they're seeing that. Could you imagine? Like, and we think those thoughts, but we think it's safe inside. Well, from God, it's not safe. It's there. It's transparent. He knows what's going on. Verse 27. It says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples. He wasn't giving them a break. He was like, hey, guys, we're walking. We're doing this. Let's have a conversation. Who do people say that I am? That's his question to them. Verse 28, he says, and they told him just what everybody else is saying. John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, and I, I've, I've preached on this before. I, I love this because I think this is, if you don't read another verse in the Bible, and this isn't the only one you can read, but this is one of the most pointed to the truth behind what we're reading. He turns it around. It, do, it doesn't matter what other people, it does not matter. It matters what our church believes, but to you and your salvation, it does not matter that or what we believe. It does not matter what someone else believes or your wife believes or your husband or your mother or your sister or whoever. It matters what you do. And so Jesus turns this to them. It doesn't matter what other people are saying about me. He turns it and says, but who do you say that I am? Because who we believe Jesus is, is a big deal. And Peter answers. I mean, this is a shining moment. In the two other Gospels that this is paralleled in, in Matthew and Luke, I mean, like, he gets high praise off this. He was like, hey, that didn't come from you. Like, the Spirit of the living God, he just spoke through you. And this is awesome. This is not in here. But Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And we take for granted this, you know, Jesus Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. It's not like you are the Cadell. <laughs> Good job, Cadell. Christ was a, 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 a disclaimer of who he was. It was an identity of who he was. And, and I think it was intentionally used Christ instead of Messiah. Messiah had a very political, which we're going to see in just a second, because he still thought that way. Messiah had a very political connotation. They, the Jewish people were waiting for a political hero king to enter the world to eradicate the Roman rule and give them back the kingdom that they were always promised. Well, they were promised if they were to obey. And of course, we know that they didn't over and over again. 
And he says that you are the Christ. And he he told them, verse 30, and he he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And and I want to just let me just a little caveat, because I think sometimes when we see Jesus heal people and he tells them to not tell people, you're wondering. Like, isn't that the purpose, Jesus? <laughs> the purpose is for us to understand who Jesus is. The purpose wasn't for Jesus to gain more followers because they were more interested in a, in a miracle man or a political up-and-coming person. He was looking for people to see him for who he was, which we saw. There were thousands and thousands of people that were following him around. You don't get any bigger revelation than that. Like Peter nailed it. But he missed it. Verse 31, it says, and he began to teach them. So he he, is like, great job, Peter, successfully. Peter claimed that he is the Christ. Christ means he is the coming Messiah. He is the Lord God. He is the final authority. This is what he just said. Then that final authority, that leader, Messiah, Christ begins to speak. And you would think on our end that when the Messiah that you just claimed, the Christ that you just claimed, begins to speak, you would listen. And whatever he said, you would agree with because you just claimed that he be the, the Savior of the world. And the Savior of the world doesn't get things wrong, right? And so Jesus went right from that. We don't know how far this was, but he went right from going, you are the Christ. And then Jesus is going to like, hey, I'm going to teach you something. Listen, hey guys. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. This is one of the clearest points in the gospel. I mean, he's hinted around to it, but he was like, look, you guys aren't getting it. I'm going to die. Killed. And after three days rise again. Why? And this is another thing. Why weren't the disciples waiting outside of his tomb three days later? Why was it just a bunch of women? Now then he gets women. That sounded negative. Why was it only the women there to continue to finish the job of preparing his body? Why weren't there a group of people going... Because they got it, but they didn't get it. The beauty of our story, too, is that it was women that were there. They were the first ones that saw Jesus, the Messiah, which women in this culture weren't able to even testify in court. And, you know, God wasn't about socially thinking through things, meaning like, oh, well, let me wait until a man shows up and then I'll record it. Just for the sake. And he said this to them plainly. Hey, I'm going to die. But but then, continuing on in verse 32. And Peter, he he didn't have the the whatever enough to say it to his face in front of the other disciples. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Hey, hey guys, just time out for a second. Hey, Jesus, I got something really important. I've been struggling with something. He brings Jesus over the side and he rebukes him for what he just said. The person who just declared him Christ. Hey, Christ. That, and, and let's just see what he said. <clears throat> oh, oh, hold on, hold on. I got I to gotta continue going through my notes. 
Uh, and it is essential that we understand entirely the Jesus that we give our life to and what he asks of us. And he's getting ready to clarify what it means to follow him. And I read this in one commentary I like yet. It says, uh, one can mouth the correct titles and still have a false understanding of who Christ is. To accept Jesus as Lord is to accept not only his glory, but also his suffering, rejection, and death. Which turned itself into the disciples. The disciples, uh, 10 out of the 11 died horrible deaths, being more obedient and sacrificial than we will ever be. And so Jesus went right from there, and he must not have gone far because he went right to tell the disciples about this in verse 33. He says, but turning and seeing his disciples, so Peter just rebuked him, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. It's a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan. It's a bad day. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Here's the danger is that we can claim Christ, ignore his teaching and hope for his resurrection power in our life. And and it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It, we, we cannot claim Christ and choose to do whatever we want. We claim Christ, meaning that He is the, is the God who created us, supreme above all else, and what He wants for us is the best thing we can ever do, even if it means suffering and death. On our end, the best thing that we can ever do or have. And see, the the crazy thing is, this is the same lie that Jesus was being approached with by Satan when he was tempted. You can have all that you think you're here to do without the cross. Which is what Satan was doing. Just bow down to me and I'll, I'll give you all this. Just do this and, and I'll do, uh, forget the cross. I can, I can, we can cheat our way into that, which of course would not get us anything. See, Peter did not have his mind set on the things of Christ. He, as much as he was declaring that he was the Christ, he wasn't trusting his words. Most of his thoughts were still politically motivated, meaning Peter was still hoping to ride, just like if you guys have read it recently, James and John. I mean, they, none of them were perfect. Two of them come to Jesus, hey, we got something to ask of you. Of course, he didn't do that. They don't do it in front of the others. They pull him aside and he's like, Jesus, can you let us sit on the right and left in your kingdom? Which was a big deal. I think we're like, so Jesus is in the hump. We're on each side. I mean, right and left, that's an authority thing. Like, if you have the king, like, the right, his right arm and left arm, like, that's power. And he was like, you don't know what you're asking. They're like, yeah, we do, we want it. And he's like, oh, you, you don't know what you're asking. And, of course, he says, it's not, it's not in my ability to choose. That's for the father. But then he tells him, but you are going to get it. 
you are. I, you don't understand what you're asking, but what you're asking, you're going to get not necessarily with position, but you're going to get the suffering. In verse 34, and so he tells, he, he tells Peter, he, he's, he's missed the point, and he goes right from there to begin to teach those around him. In verse 34 it says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, time to clarify. He said to them, if you would come after me, if you would be my disciple, if you would be my child, then this is what you're going to have to do. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. They're like, cross? Like, what you talking about? I mean, the cross hadn't happened yet. Take up his cross and follow me. And then it gets like crazy. It gets backwards. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. So if you fight for life to have and have all the things that you want, if you fight for it, you're going to end up losing it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? See, this is what he's asking. If you're claiming him as the Christ, then you have to look at his words as the reality. And I'm telling you, I don't care that you read every day the word of God. It doesn't matter. I say that for a fact. Just stew there. Don't run out of here. Because there's lots of people that read the Bible every day. The Pharisees read the Bible, their Bible, every day. They knew it better than we... They memorized it. I mean, that's part of it. They had to memorize the Torah. They had to know it. They were in the Word. They knew the Word. But they still missed it. So the danger of you and me having a Bible reading plan and working our way through it, if we're not looking at it through the lens of these are the words of my Lord, which is not a term that we used. We use it because it's a biblical term and we hear it in the Bible. But him being Lord, if we go into medieval kingdoms, when someone was the Lord, they were the final authority. Whatever they said happened or you suffered the consequences. If, if this is the truth, then we're reading the word for it. And I'm telling you, like I got smacked, not literally, in the face multiple times this week reading in the word of things. And that's how it should be. We should be looking at it through the lens of God going, this is what I require of you, son. I think sometimes we're more interested in, and I posted one this week, don't judge me. Of, of finding that verse to make a beautiful image of, to post on our social media, so we can be like, "Yeah, I'm spiritual." But are his words your life? Because you you can know his words, know about his words, you can know about the things of God and still miss. God, that, that's my biggest fear 
in my life, in everyone that I'm around, is that we will take on what we think and we'll run with it. Instead of looking to the word to be the measure of who we are, because this is what it's saying, deny ourselves. Are we a culture? Are you a person that on a regular basis chooses to selfishly, selflessly deny yourself for the benefit of Christ? Are are you literally taking up your cross? And I don't mean like tomorrow morning there's going to be a wooden cross outside of your door and Jesus is going to say, take it. it And there's a guy in our hometown, he literally has done miles and miles and he carries a cross just to have conversation with people. He's a neat guy, but he has for thousands of miles has carried this cross. He takes it everywhere and he would just like take off walking. Now, different purpose for what he's doing, but the reality is, is that God has given you a cross to bear. Whatever it may be, it may be relationships, maybe someone else in your life, it may be an infirmity. It may, it may be something going on in your life that you cannot control. That God's just saying, trust me. Am I good enough for this? Am I good enough for you? Do I satisfy you enough that during this moment of infirmity or conflict that I'm still enough? Because that's where he's at. He's at deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. We cannot follow him without being in his word because his word is the clearest picture that we can say this is what he wants and desires for me. And for those of you sitting in this room that might be beating yourself up about your lack of. Because we do that. I just want to make sure that you understand this. I love Peter. I talk about Peter. Peter gives me hope all the time. Peter, I mean, Paul scares me. Paul, I would not want to, like, be in Paul's class. Because, like, if he was a professor, like, I'm getting in trouble. I just am. Peter, I'd be like, I feel like Peter. We get each other. Peter made a few mistakes along the way. We've seen them. I've talked about them. This was a biggie. I don't think you get any bigger than rebuking Jesus. Now, if it was early on, we might can forgive him. But he just said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're, you're the King. You're the, the Savior of the world. And then he rebukes him. See, failures are not fatal In our pursuit of following Jesus, you're going to, and this is not a curse that I'm giving you, you're going to fail at things along the way of following Jesus. The critical part is, are you willing after the failure to get up and to keep moving forward? We must strive to obey, well, know and obey his words. And so what I want to do, I want to invite our worship team back up and we're going to worship for a little bit. 
we're intentionally going to reflect here for a minute. I, like I said, I, I want us to be in this place. I want people to be sold out followers of Jesus that are constantly being brought into new things. And I, I've been um, in, let's see, this summer will be 25 years, almost a quarter of a century that I have said yes to Jesus. And you would think in 25 years you could perfect some things. Or you'd be perfected. I'm not. And God still is working in me. And I want to just, I want to tell you that. I don't say that because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm two years in and I don't know if I can make it 23 more years. I just want to tell you that if you're willing to surrender on a day in, day out basis to Jesus, there's hope for all of us. I mean, I love the song that we closed with just a few minutes ago. Like, where, where are our chains? He did not give us a spirit of fear to, a spirit of fear to fall back into slavery. But he gave us adoption as sons and daughters. That's us as we worship today. Answer a few questions. Have you personally answered that question that Peter was asked by Jesus who is Jesus to you? And, and then the next question following that up, because I think sometimes if we grew up in the South like me, you might just go, yes, Jesus, Christ, Lord, everything. Does your life reflect your answer? If it doesn't, now, and I'm not talking about right now, I think sometimes if we're in a, if we're in a bad spot, everything looks bad. But since the day you've said yes to Jesus, has your life reflected that response? And if it hasn't, have a conversation in this room as we worship, going, God, I, maybe, I've, maybe I've missed it, because some people have missed it. But does your life reflect that answer? And as a whole, there's been moments of my 25 years where I'd go, no, no. It doesn't reflect, but over the 25 years, I can see what God is doing, has done, and will continue to do. And then a kind of caveat of if your life reflecting that, this might be a way to, to narrow this down. Are you denying yourself? Are you taking up your cross? And are you following Jesus? Because the, the truth and reality is that if you aren't, you're going to miss the life that he promises. And so if you're in this room and, and you've missed something, the beauty is, is he right now knows all of you, knows all of your faults and failures, and still was willing to send his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for you so that you could, in this moment, say yes to Jesus. It began to live this life, not just saying yes to Jesus in a moment so that we can declare today I am saved, but literally saying yes to Jesus and surrendering your life to him. Begin the journey of following. And we will help you in every way possible to make that journey as possible as it can be with the community that you're in. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is our desire 
that we would hear your voice. That we would declare who you are and that we would choose to follow you. By denying ourselves, by picking up our cross and living every day for you. And so, Lord, as we close out our worship, I pray that you would, in us, continue to stir our affections to you. The only source that our affections will ever be satisfied in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.